How do we know that the Bible is reliable? How do we know whether the words we have in our Bibles are the words that were written? And how do we know that the words that we have describe real historical events? In the last few episodes of Thinking Theology, we've been looking at the reliability of the Old and New Testaments, both in terms of the manuscripts that we have and the external archaeological evidence that gives us confidence in the historical events described in those manuscripts. In this episode of Thinking Theology, we're thinking about the question of the historical reliability of the New Testament. How do we know whether the events in the New Testament really happened? Hi, my name's Carl Denick. I'm a pastor, theologian, writer, and Bible college lecturer. Welcome to Thinking Theology, a podcast where we think about theology, the Bible, and the Christian life, not just for the sake of it, but so we can love God more with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. How can we be sure that what we have in the New Testament is a reliable account of the events that actually happened? We saw in the last episode that we can have a very high degree of confidence about the reliability of the text of the New Testament. That is, we can be very confident that what was written down by the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life has been faithfully and accurately transmitted down through the centuries. But how can we know whether those eyewitnesses recorded the historical events faithfully and accurately in the first place? The first thing that can give us confidence about the reliability of the events recorded in the New Testament is that they're recorded by multiple independent witnesses. Historians in reconstructing the past are interested chiefly in sources The more sources you have for an event, the more confidence you can have that you can find out what really happened. In normal life too, we use that rule. We use it, for example, to evaluate the news we see on the internet. If you read the news, most people treat what they hear with some degree of scepticism. But if they hear more or less the same story from another news source, and maybe from a few others as well, then they begin to believe the story to be true. And if they then meet an eyewitness who was there, who saw what happened, they then believe it even more. In a court case too, you generally don't convict a person on the testimony of only one witness. One witness might deliberately doctor the facts, or alternatively, they might just get some of the facts wrong. They might misremember the events. That idea of multiple sources is important, though, when we come to the New Testament, because although when we look at the New Testament, we see it often as just one book, it's really 27 separate books or documents composed over a period of about 60 years. For the life of Jesus, we don't simply have one source, but four sources, the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we not only have the Gospels, but we have recollections about the teaching and life of Jesus from the letters and documents that make up the rest of the New Testament. That's important because, as I said, one of the things that historians look for in establishing the truth of historical events is multiple sources. But not only were the documents of the New Testament written by different people, they were all written by people with quite different backgrounds and life circumstances. According to early church tradition, Matthew was a Jewish man, 
and he was a despised tax collector who became one of the twelve disciples. Mark was also written by a Jewish man and probably under the influence and instruction of the Apostle Peter. John was one of the twelve disciples. So those three biographies of Jesus were written by men who knew Jesus intimately and knew the events of Jesus' life intimately. Luke was written by a first-century physician who was probably not Jewish, and Paul, who wrote a fair slab of the other parts of the New Testament, was originally an opponent of Jesus and of the church. He'd been overseeing the execution of Christians until he had changed his mind and come to believe that Jesus really was the Son of God after he met the resurrected Jesus in person. Jesus' brother James wrote a letter that's been included in the New Testament and that also witnesses to the identity of Jesus. But the point is that what we have is 27 separate source documents from the first century written by different people with different backgrounds from different perspectives, but all making the same basic point that Jesus existed, that he did many wonderful deeds, that he was crucified, and that he was raised to life. I suppose that you could argue that they all collaborated to make it up, but of course, the more people that are involved in a lie, the harder it is for everyone to agree on the basic facts of the lie. Two people might be able to do it, but three people is much harder. Four is probably twice as hard again. But to have 27 sources all endorsing the same lie would be really quite difficult. But also if you take the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the four accounts are similar enough to be making the same point, but not so similar as to appear contrived. Three of the biographies of Jesus are more similar to each other. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but they're also different enough to show that they are independent accounts. When they tell the same story, for example, they give different details, or they tell the same story in different ways. And the Gospel of John is really quite different again from those three other Gospels. Then, of course, the letters of Paul are very different as well. But reading the New Testament is a bit like watching a news report of a footy match on two different TV stations. Both report the story differently, they use some of the same but also different clips from the game, but both tell the same story and both, importantly, give the same finishing scoreline. And it's the same with the Gospels. They each report on the life of Jesus quite differently, differently enough to show that they're independent sources, but they all report the same story and agree on the same facts the divinity of Jesus, his power, that he did miracles, that he died an innocent man, and that he rose from the dead. But as well as having multiple sources, there's also good evidence that the New Testament authors themselves are reliable sources. We saw when we looked at the historical reliability of the Old Testament that in ordinary life we often have to trust the accounts of people who witnessed things that we didn't. How do we know whether we can trust them we know because they've shown themselves in various ways to be reliable. And there are good reasons to trust the reliability of the New Testament authors. In the late 19th century, an historian by the name of Sir William Ramsey decided to check out how reliable the author of Luke and Acts was. His initial view of Acts was, he wrote, that it was written during the second half of the second century by an author who wished to influence the minds of the people in his own time, by a highly wrought and imaginative description of the early church. 
So basically he thought Acts was written way after the events happened by someone who wasn't there and who was totally unreliable. But as William Ramsey conducted his own research following in the footsteps of Luke around the Mediterranean, what he found really astonished him. He ended up concluding that Luke is among the historians of the first rank. What changed his mind was Luke's detailed knowledge of the circumstances within the Mediterranean, such as place names that were previously unknown to scholars, and also Luke's identification of various language groups. Another scholar, A.N. Sherwin-White, an historian who is not a Christian, writes, For Acts, the confirmation of historicity is overwhelming. Any attempts to reject its basic historicity even in matters of detail, must now appear absurd. Roman historians have long taken it for granted. Adolf Harnack, a Bible scholar not known for his belief that the Bible is true, wrote, The geographical and chronological references and notices in the book show the circumspection, the care, the consistency, and the trustworthiness of the writer. In other words, in the case of Luke, historians generally agree that he shows impeccable reliability just with basic facts. You might think, yes, but the documents from the Bible can't be trusted because they're biased. They have a barrow to push. Therefore, I can't trust anything that they say. But historians don't treat the New Testament documents or any historical documents in that way. Every document has a bias. If you read the newspaper, depending on which newspaper you read, it has a different bias. If you watch the news, depending which station it is, it has a different bias. But if you know that, it can help you to sift through the evidence. And of course, one of the ways that you do that is by listening to multiple sources, the kind of multiple sources that we have for the New Testament. So we have the evidence of multiple sources. We have the evidence of reliable sources We also have in the New Testament documents the evidence of early sources. That is, the record of Jesus' life in the New Testament is all from sources who were within 50 to 60 years of Jesus' ministry. The four Gospels were all written within about 40 to 60 years of Jesus' life by his disciples or by people acquainted with his disciples. And Paul's letters were most likely written even earlier than that. Paul's letters were written within 20 to 30 years after Jesus' death. James, Jesus' brother, wrote within 30 years. The Gospel of Mark was composed maybe about 20 to 30 years after Jesus' death. By comparison, the earliest biography of Muhammad, the founder of Islam, was composed about 125 years after his death, and it continued to be edited for about another 50 years. So too, the earliest records of the life of Buddha were composed around 350 years after his death. Now, you might think that even 20, 30, or 40 years sound like a long time, but it's not really that long. To say that anything written more than 40 years after an event can't be trusted would be a bit like saying we can't know anything truly about the Holocaust from a history written in the mid-80s or after. But in fact, the histories that are generally considered to be the most reliable are often those histories that are written 30 to 40 years after the events. To give an example, Kerry O'Brien, the Australian journalist, published a few years ago a biography of Paul Keating. Paul Keating was the federal treasurer through the 1980s and finished as Prime Minister of Australia in 1996. 
So most of the events recorded in Kerry O'Brien's book are from 20, 30, even 40 years ago. But here's the important point. Most people would consider a book like that a more reliable record of what happened 20 or 30 years ago than the newspaper reports that came out the day after a particular event. That's because there's been time for things to be investigated and for the truth to come to light. But there hasn't been enough time that the eyewitnesses of the events have died. It's clear from Luke's Gospel that what he's done in compiling his biography of Jesus is to talk to the first-hand sources. He seems to have talked to people like Mary, the mother of Jesus. What's more, 40 years is even less time in a culture like Jesus' day where most things were passed on verbally, where people were accustomed to remembering and passing on stories by word of mouth. And when you think about most of the teaching and events in the life of Jesus, they're all actually quite memorable. They're parables, that is, short stories or miracles or his death and resurrection. Those are the kinds of things that people are really pretty likely to remember. So we have the evidence of multiple sources. We have the evidence of reliable sources. We have in the New Testament the evidence of early sources. Finally, there are also places outside the Bible that refer to Jesus and to some of the events of his life. For example, a Greek man by the name of Lucian, living in the 2nd century, wrote about Christians that they still worship today the man in Palestine who was crucified. They are all brothers the moment they transgress and deny the Greek gods and begin worshipping that crucified sophist and living by his laws. The key point is that Lucian acknowledges that Jesus was crucified and that the Christians worshipped him. Tacitus, the Roman historian, writing in the early 2nd century, wrote, Christians derived their name from a man named Christ, who during the reign of Emperor Tiberius had been executed by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate. The deadly superstition, thus checked for the moment, broke out afresh not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but also in the city of Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world meet and become popular. Jewish writings from the 2nd century also refer to Jesus being hanged, for example, on the eve of the Passover. Josephus, a 1st century historian, also records something about the life of Jesus. In his work, Jewish Antiquities, Josephus writes about Jesus. Not everyone agrees that all of what is written there is authentic, but here are some of the bits that people generally agree on. Josephus writes, Now there was about this time Jesus a wise man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the so-called Christ, and when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. Again, Josephus confirms some of the basic facts that we know about Jesus already from the New Testament. Another personal favourite of mine is the so-called Alexamenos graffiti. It's a piece of graffiti dating from around the 2nd or 3rd century, and it depicts a man with a mule's head being crucified, accompanied by the words, Alexamenos worships God. The graffiti is mocking Alexamenos, but the point is that Alexamenos was worshipping a man who had been crucified, 
and he was worshipping him as God. In other words, the kinds of things that we find in historical sources outside the Bible are the kinds of things we would expect to find on the basis of the Bible itself. The external sources confirm the reliability and the trustworthiness of the original New Testament writers. If you want to know more about the historical reliability of the Bible, a great book to read or video to watch is The Christ Files by the historian John Dixon. I found that resource helpful in preparing this episode. But that's it for this episode of Thinking Theology. Next time we'll be moving on to think about what the Bible is. What does it mean to say that it's God's word and what is it about? But as well as that, I've also just started the Thinking Theology Daily Bible Podcast. That's a 10-minute podcast that comes out every weekday. It's designed for those who struggle to read the Bible, whether that's because they struggle to form the habit or because they struggle to make sense of the Bible. Every episode includes a short Bible reading, a bit of explanation, reflection, application, and then a prayer. You can find that podcast at Thinking Theology Daily Bible, all one word, dot transistor.fm. Thinking Theology Daily Bible dot transistor.fm. You'll also find a link to it in the program notes, or you can search for it in your favorite podcast app. If you think that'd be helpful, feel free to subscribe or you can pass it on to somebody else that you might know that you think might find it helpful too. Thanks so much for listening. Please join me next time.